and reading, at their very best, are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. I was away on vacation, so Carrie decided to team up with former guest and Ohio friend Giselle Spurgeon to co-host this week to interview a fellow Ohioan, Melanie Moore, owner of the Cincy Book Bus. When you see an old rusty truck, the first thing that pops into your head is probably not bookstore. Melanie, though, had other ideas. Her dream of opening her own bookstore after retiring from 25 years of teaching was hampered somewhat by the heavy burden of all the things that go along with having a brick-and-mortar shop. That is, until she read a book written in 1917 called Parnassus on Wheels about a horse-drawn wagon filled with books driven around the countryside of England by a woman looking for adventure. When Melanie looked out her kitchen window and saw her husband's old mint green VW truck, she knew the path her bookstore future would take would have fenders and chrome. Pre-COVID, book lovers could find Melanie and her Cincy book bus popping up all over the greater Cincinnati area, including northern Kentucky, at coffee shops, festivals, and small boutiques. Now, with the pandemic, she's made her presence count online as she has all kinds of ways customers can buy books, many of them hard-to-find European editions, both with her online store as well as with a book club. Oh, and I can't forget to mention that 100% of her proceeds go to buying books for low-income youth. Melanie talks to Carrie and Giselle about why she sees her bookstore on wheels as part of a much larger book community, how her love of the 1930s and 40s fueled the vintage feel of her logo and truck, and how she doubled the number of books she donates to worthwhile children's organizations. I have forced Amy to take a break since she does all the editing for our show. I am forcing her to just sit back and relax and read. So I have two guests, really. The first is one of our former guests, Giselle Spurgeon, who is going to sit in today as my co-host. So thanks, Giselle, for doing that. I appreciate it. No problem. And we also have Melanie Moore, who is the owner of the Cincy Book Bus. Since I'm down here in Louisville, we thought it'd be fun to get two Ohio residents with us. So Melanie, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a retired school teacher. So I taught for 25 years in city schools. So downtown St. Louis is where I started and moved to Cincinnati and then was in LA for two years and then moved back to Cincinnati and finished up here. I always have had a passion for books and kids and reading. And I think part of that ties in with the heart of the book bus. Five years ago, I decided to retire. I thought 25 was a good number to do something else, to finish up one journey and and start another. So I always had a passion for reading and bookstores when I would travel or even just here in Cincinnati visiting local bookstores. And I always tucked in the back of my 
mind had a dream of someday opening my own bookstore. So when I retired from teaching, I thought, oh, this would be a good time. I was a recent empty nester, my two girls, 21 and 23. So the mom thing at home was finished up as well. And I thought this might be a good time to pursue that dream. So what grades did you teach? I taught junior high for 19 years, and I did history, literature, and math. And then I finished up my career six years in high school. I taught juniors and seniors. I wrote my own curriculum. With my girls being that age, I thought there needs to be a course that is a practical life course where you learn adulting. Like, how do you change a tire? How do you file taxes? How do you go to the bank and open up an account? When you buy a car, what do you have to do at the BMV to transfer titles? All these things. You know, when you get a job, what's a W-2? What's a W-4? So I wrote a curriculum and I went to a local school and said, can I teach this here? (laughs) They said, yes. So I finished up, did my last six years teaching juniors and seniors how to adult. And it was a lot of fun. We'd go out in the parking lot, change tires together and do all that practical life stuff, finances and even just cleaning supplies and grocery shopping. And Would you be willing to give me that course? Because (laughs) there's a lot of things on that list I don't know how to do. (laughs) Well, there's so many parents that said, can we come to this class? So we always like to ask about our guests and about their reading life. So tell us a little bit about what your reading life was like when you were a child and a a teenager, and then tell us about what your reading life is like now. Well, I was always surrounded by books. So I grew up in a family where reading was important. So my parents modeled that and then created an environment where books were important. We, We went to the library once a week. We would sit together and read. They would read to me. There was always that atmosphere of books and reading and the joy that it brings. And and we always read as a family. And I even remember in high school, I was the youngest, so I was the last one around. And my dad had a job that he had to go to Kentucky, actually, from Cincinnati. He was down in Louisville taking a class to become a chaplain. So he was down there during the week, and then he would come home on the weekends. So it was just my mom and I, and and we'd be on our own for the week. And I remember curling up in bed with her at night. Here I am in high school, and we'd get a book, and I'd either read to her or she'd read to me, or we'd just have our separate books, and we'd curl up in bed and read. And then, you know, after a while, okay, good night, Mom. Head to my room. And I still think back to that now that, you know, when my girls were in high school, I think, wow, that was really special, that time that just my mom and I had. And usually, you know, moms and daughters, right. especially teens <laughs> at that age, can really knock it around a little bit. But I have that sweet memory of us and books and reading and curling up to bed together. And then that just carried through my adult life. I've never not read. You know, sometimes time didn't always allow for the reading time that I wanted, but it's it's always been important to me and part of my life. 
we're going to kind of segue here to talk about the Cincy Book Bus. Amy and I follow the Cincy Book Bus on Instagram and Facebook, but describe to our listeners what it is, what it looks like, and how do you display books and how you came to own it? Well, so let's go back to when I said I retired teaching and wanted to pursue this dream of owning a bookstore. So I did my research and I took a class down in Florida. There's a week-long booksellers, they call it like booksellers boot camp is the nickname for it. Paz Associates puts it on. I came close to signing a lease for a brick and mortar here in Cincinnati in Oakley. And the night before I was supposed to do it, I woke up and I thought, what am I doing? I just became an empty nester. This would be like having another baby. I would lose all flexibility. My husband was traveling a lot at the time and I wanted to be able to travel with him. And I thought, I'm just going to strap myself down again. You know, just when I'm sensing some new freedom here, even though this is my dream, maybe this isn't the right path. So I decided not to sign the lease and I was a little disappointed and thought, okay, I'll just put this on hold. It's not the right time. I had recently read Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley. Wonderful story about a traveling bookstore and a man wants to sell it. He's tired of doing it. So he pulls up into this woman's farm and he says, do you, you want this truck? I'm tired of doing this. I don't want, and she wants an adventure. So she says, yes, I will take this. I will take it over. So they swap a deal and she jumps in and it's horse drawn, takes off down the road to sell books. And I had just recently read that. I was sitting at the kitchen table drinking some tea and I looked out my window and there in the parking lot was my husband's 1962 VW transporter truck. And all of a sudden, it just click, click, click. Uh, everything fell into place. I said, honey, can I steal your truck? And I told him my idea. And he's like, yes. I said, this is exactly what I want. I want something fun and flexible. I was also stressing about the money side of having a brick and mortar and the stress of rent and overhead. And this freed some of that up. Since we already had it, it was much more cost effective to get this started. And I just got so inspired. So the truck was pretty much ready to go. It same color it is now. We have painted it because the rust was getting a little more than charming. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it rough. In fact, I didn't yeah. want to paint her because I liked the way she looked, a little patina. But it was getting to the point where it was going to cause some real issues if if we didn't address it. So I had a friend help me with a logo who was a graphic design. It helps to have friends, creative friends (laughs) when you're trying to do a new venture. So I knew exactly what I wanted and he he did exactly what I had envisioned in my head. And then I had another friend who was carpenter. And I said, look, I need to do like crates or something where I can carry the books out because I can't keep them on the truck because humidity and rain and books don't like moisture. So I said, I need something where I can transport the books back and forth, but then can also work like a display. So he came up with my boxes. They're wooden crates. He measured them so that I could get four to each side. They have handles. So I carry the books and put them in the truck and then close up the truck and drive to where I'm going. And then I open up the truck, put the sides down, roll my little canvas up. And then I flip the crates on their side. 
So then it's like shelving. And then I can display books on top so that they're front facing. My book crates become shelves. That's how I do it. And then when I'm done with an event, I just, you know, put all the books back in the crates, flip the crates back up for travel, close everything up and and I'm on my way. Fantastic. Practical and cute too. It's really a neat look. Now that was pre-COVID. The book bus is different now than it was. We're not really doing events or pop-ups right now. So we'll get back to it. But again, another positive to not having the brick and mortar because I'm sure you're less stressed than you would be if you, you know, had that rent and all of that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Any business right now, I have uh, so much sympathy for. Now I have never seen the Cincy book bus in action, but I just envision, at least this is how I would react. If I saw it driving down the road, I would I'd be wanting to stop it in the middle of traffic. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about pre-COVID, and hopefully we'll get to a point where we can resume a lot of these pop-up fun social activities. How would it work? How would you determine where to go, and what did that look like? Well, I usually chose spots or events that already had people coming and going because that made the most sense. It is fun to drive the truck because I was just out making deliveries this morning and you just get so many honks and waves and thumbs ups. And and I have had people at the light say, book bus, you have books in there? How, how do I see what books you have? You know. So then I tell them the next event I'm going to be at and, and say, yeah, come, we'll see you there. Look me up, Cincy Book Bus on Instagram. So yeah, she gets a lot of attention. It's you know, she's really the star and she's a showstopper because you can't miss her when she's driving down the street. I know coffee and books go well together. So I had relationships with some coffee shops around the city that I would pop up at their coffee shops. It was a win-win because I would get the customers who would come for coffee and say, book bus, what is this? So then they'd stop and shop. And then I would have my customers who knew where I was going to be because I would mix it up around the city. So, you know, different coffee shops, not always, you know, at the same neighborhood. And then I would bring my customers to the coffee shop. And of course, if you're going to come shop for books, of course, you're going to grab some coffee and pastry. And so it, it did work. It was a good relationship to have with the coffee shops. I did do a couple boutique stores too. And then I would do markets or fleas, like City Flea, Hamilton Flea. Uh, I did the coffee festival in Columbus. I tried to mix it up so I wasn't at the same spot every time. Try to spread myself out. In addition to selling at these pop-ups, one of our guests, Amanda Beverly from the Jane Austen Society, mentioned that, you and I don't think I knew this before she said it, but you also sell online. So coming to the bus is not the only way that people can get books. So tell us a little bit about your online presence and how that worked. This was uh, very serendipitous. I was not knowing that COVID was going to hit. At the end of last year, so I had been in business for a year, I was getting a fan base around the country. So not just in Cincinnati, but I was getting people from California, Pennsylvania, New York, Carolinas, I mean, all over. And they were following me and they just kept saying, I wish I could come to the book bus. And I thought the book bus is about community too. It's it's community around the books. So I thought there's got to be a way that we can include these folks that are not in Cincinnati, but want to be a part of the book bus. They like my cause. They like my mission. 
and they like some of the books that I'm selling and they want to be a part of it. So my goal for 2020 was to get myself an online presence so that anybody in the United States, whether you're in Cincinnati or visiting Cincinnati or not, then you could visit the book bus. And so I think in February, I had pretty much everything set up online. So you can go to my website, cincybookbus.com, and you can find any book that you wanted, because that's another issue that I wanted to address. With the book bus, I can only have so much on the truck. There's only so much space. And this is my job is at home, and I have a climate-controlled room in my basement that holds the books, but I only have so much space for so much shelving. So I can't hold thousands and thousands of books. And so now I've affiliated with bookshop.org, which is a great organization. They support independent bookstores, and you can affiliate with them where any book that is purchased through the book bus, I get a percentage of that. So now any customer could come to my website and search for a book, and now they have access to thousands and thousands of books. So I sell that way. And then I also ship. So any book that I post on social media, then the customers have the option. If, if they are interested in that book, they message me. I send them an invoice. They pay it online, and then I ship them the book. That way, I've really built up a community because I get the same customers. And I also get people who really want to buy books through the book bus because they know that my profits are being used to, to buy children's books for, for kids in the community. So they want to be part of that. Or I'm posting a book that's maybe unique or something that they hadn't heard of or that they don't have available to them, and then they want to buy through the book bus for that too. So I was so glad I had an online presence because it's really helped me to maintain my business. And I wanted to mention too, as I was poking around your site, I noticed that you also have the ability to buy audiobooks and eBooks from your website. Right. I assume it's the same sort of deal for that. So yep. people who don't want that paper book right. offer all different media. Right. In fact, just this week, uh, Libro FM, they are similar to bookshop.org. They support local bookstores. It's very similar to Audible, but Audible is supported by Amazon. So your money's just going back to Amazon, which is helping to fuel communities. So Libro.fm helps to support independent bookstores. So any purchase that goes through there, then they're going to give a percentage of that to, to an independent bookstore. But I have an affiliate with them, so if it's purchased through my website, then I get a percentage of those sales, yeah. You say you don't have very much room on your truck, so I'm curious, you know, what kind of books you do carry, and how do you select what you're going to put on your truck? I can fit about 150 books on the truck, and so I need to be very selective in my choices of how I'm going to stock the truck. I learned that early on because if I'm going to stock the truck and drive somewhere, you know, that's a lot of work. <laughs> so right. I need to make it as profitable and worth my time that I can't. So it is important to stock the truck with things that are most appealing and things that I can move quickly. I think about things in two different ways. One, most of my truck is adult fiction. And I do have one box for young chapter books, probably up to young adult. 
I didn't start with children's books, but I would have these kids running to the truck. I was so excited. And then I'd say, I don't have anything here. And then you'd see yeah. their little faces. And I thought, okay, we have to fix this real quick. I can at least devote a box to, to that. And the reason why I'm not more children's is, again, it's, I have to have a high profit margin for, for the small amount that I can carry around. So in children's books, they're all different sizes and shapes, and it's really hard to stock the truck with picture books. So I thought that was a good compromise because early chapter books, even if you're six and maybe you're not reading books on your own yet, to curl up with your parents and have a book read to you is still a treasure. So I thought, okay, I'm at least supporting children's literacy by even the young ones can Absolutely. can walk away with a book that they can read with their parents. And then with why I chose fiction is nonfiction, that's a slippery slope. That is so hard. How do I, cooking books, history books, uh, art books, how do I address nonfiction? So what I do is I just throw in some nonfiction into my fiction books. So let's say that I'm going to the coffee festival. So I would have some specialty books that I would have gotten that are centered around maybe coffee recipes or anything to do with coffee, whether it's the book takes place in a coffee shop, it's a fiction book, or it's a nonfiction book. I would kind of gather those books for that event. And then otherwise, I just try to find some good literature, good books that I would want to read. I try to find things that aren't so common, maybe some titles or authors that isn't always on the New York Times bestseller list, but it's great literature and maybe exposing to people. I love when that happens, when I've exposed someone to an author or a title of a book that they had never heard of and they get all excited, not get excited. Yeah, to me, that's one of the great benefits of a small bookstore is that personal connection. Anyone can go to New York Times bestseller list and pick a book off, but have that connection with you, get your recommendations. I think that's just kind of magical. It's fabulous. Some of the books that you carry aren't books that you can find in America, or at least that's the impression I've gotten. So tell us a little bit about some of those books that you have shipped over. All last year, I went to Europe three times in one year. Again, I had mentioned before, my husband was traveling a lot for his work and I was tagging along. And so I would go and I would browse the bookshops and find things that were published over there that were not published here that look like amazing books. And so I would take empty suitcases. The first time I only took one, I realized I was buying too much. I would get so excited that I had to purchase another suitcase while I was over there. So oh, the wow. last time I went, I brought two suitcases home. And then I would have special events. So I would post my trip so people could follow along with me, the bookstores that I was visiting, some of the books that I was finding. And how fun is that? You know, virtually through me, they were able to <laughs> go right. through the bookstores of Paris and London. And, and then they get excited because they knew all these books were coming back. And then I would hold an event and I would literally have lines out the door for some of these events. Because, you know, book lovers, if we can get our hands on a book that we can't get locally, then that's very exciting. So I would bring those back and I would sell those. And that worked great. And one of the times I was there, I've always had a love of Persephone books, which Persephone 
Books is a bookstore in London that they republish books of 20th century women authors who have kind of been overlooked or neglected and need to be read and have awareness around them. So they republish all their books with these sleek gray covers. They're beautiful editions. They choose artwork for the end pages. So each book has different artwork and they're just beautiful books. And so I thought, man, if I could have those in stock, that'd be amazing. I looked online. As far as I know, there is no store in the United States that sells Persephone books. So the last time I was in London, which was last fall, I met with them and built a relationship with them so that now I can sell their books here. So I have a whole line of Persephone books. I can't offer all of their books just because of size and amount of books. And But I kind of picked some of my favorites and I order from them and then I'm able to have in stock and sell Persephone books here in the States. And you don't have to travel to London to do it. And my price is the same price it would be to order it from them, but you're saving on shipping and it won't take you three weeks to get the book because I already have it here in stock. So it really saves you money and time if you order it through the book bus. And now nobody's traveling. So I really haven't been able to bring over as many books as I want. Sometimes I'll peruse the bookstores or I'll have a connection. I have a couple connections in London and I will find a book to bring over. So recently I was able to bring this series, the James Herot series, All Creatures Great and Small. These are memoirs that he wrote. He's a Yorkshire country vet. He lived in the countryside of England and he wrote five memoirs about his experiences and the people he met being a vet. And he has a new series that's going to be airing on PBS, which I found out about and I thought, ooh, this will be great. So I was able to connect with somebody in England to set me up with sets of these books so that I could offer them here. So my radar is always up where I'm trying to find new books or like this one, the books have been around since the 70s and earlier, but knowing that the new series is coming out, then that inspires people and they republish the books so they have beautiful new covers. So I'm always on the lookout of things like that, that I can maybe connect readers with new books or books maybe they've forgotten about that then I can bring over from London. But without traveling there, they're not as frequent as they were. But I always have the Persephone books now. That sounds like a perfect job to travel and look for books. Pick up books. Oh. Yeah, I'm mean, like, maybe <laughs> maybe that will be my second act someday <laughs> in the future. I'm living the dream, I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, this is to drive around in that little truck, be able to shop for books in London and Paris. Yeah. I'm in the Dayton area. Are you looking to franchise? <laughs> um, if I got an old truck, perhaps you could uh, expand into the Dayton area. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of, uh, especially after just recently being featured in Forbes. Yeah, I've had lots of people contacting me on how to do this. <laughs> so this one I'm super excited about because uh, the Cincy Book Bus has a monthly book club. Can you tell us how that works? Why you started it? You know, weather is an issue with the truck. So I knew the winter months with snow and cold that getting out and doing pop-up events were not going to be as frequent, if happening at all. So I thought, okay, we've got January through maybe April that 
I may not be working and this is going to be sad and what can I do to stay connected with people? And again, I had in the back of my mind, how can I build community with people outside of Cincinnati? Because I had so many people that want to be part of the book bus community that aren't here. And so then I had the idea last November, book club. So I had that idea and I thought, okay, so I could choose a book, but we're going to make it a secret because that's kind of fun. So this package will come to your house the first week of the month, and you're not going to know what the book is ahead of time, but attached with it will be a bookmark that I have a guy in North Carolina who he uses reclaimed materials of wood and beads. So I've teamed up with him and he designs the bookmarks for me centering around the book, either the cover or something to do with the plot or setting. And then I include a tea of the setting. You know, if we're in Japan, I did a Japanese sencha. England, that's easy, English breakfast. Or yeah, I try to, to pick a tea that kind of goes with the book. And then that comes to your, your front door. And I thought, well, that'll be good for winter months too, because people are cooped up and you're not getting out and to have this fun mail. And then those who buy a membership, then they're also included in a private Facebook group. So on the private group, um, we don't Zoom, which I know that's the big thing now, but I found that with everybody's different schedules, it's hard for people to make one Zoom event and people want to be a part of it. So I thought, well, with the Facebook group, it's private. So it's only the members are in there. We can talk about all kinds of things. We can talk about the book, but anything bookish. So instead of just having a one time meeting, we spend the whole month just having fun. We share pictures of where we're reading what we're reading, insights, questions. We've gotten to know each other. Again, it's built community where we have the same people coming back. When some sad things have happened to some of the members, then we all can rally around. Or when something you know happy happens, we are joyful and can celebrate with them. And so it's not just about the books. It's we've really built a community there on the Facebook page. I started it as this is just going to be a four-month thing. This is just going to be for the winter months because it takes a lot of my time because I have to find the books. I work really hard to try to find books that are not on your radar because who wants a book delivered to their front door that's been all over social media? They've had interviews with the authors and you've probably already read it because everybody joining my book club are book lovers. I really try to try those titles or authors that you don't know and I'm exposing you to something new. So then it's exciting. It's just supposed to be a four-month thing and you could sign up for just January. So I had a lot of people since I was doing it in November, December, a lot of people gave it as a gift. It's a wonderful thing to give for a birthday gift or Mother's Day, Christmas gift, because it's $30 and you get the month, you get the book, the bookmark, the tea, and then get to be a part of the book group on Facebook for an entire month. So I have some people that just come and go. They can do January, but maybe February is a little too busy, so they skip February, and they just buy it month by month. Um, I've had some that have just come in with gifts, and they kind of just stay for the month, and, and then that's it. And then I have some who have been since the beginning, so they could buy the entire four-month package at once and then automatically signed up for all four months. So then COVID hit, and I thought... Okay, this was supposed to be up in April, and then everybody kept 
asking, are you going to still do it? Are you, can we still do book club? Can we still do book club? And I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to get out with the truck. So I don't have to worry about the time issue with COVID and everybody kind of stuck at home. I'm not doing pop-ups. I thought, yeah, we really do need this book club to continue on. So I kind of did it for a month and then I did it for another month. And then I finally said, okay, we're going to do it for four more months. So (laughs) I know at least through September and I think I'm going to have a fun one for October. And then I'm going to stop, take November, December off. And then hopefully 2021, we'll be back to our normal where it'll just be a four month January through April thing, something to look forward to in the winter months. And then hopefully I'll be popping back up and things will be back to normal. You had mentioned about the profits, that profits from the Cincy Book Bus buy children's books. So tell us how that operates. Right. The book bus is two parts, really. I'm the bookstore where I just sell adult fiction and book clubs and we talk books and I can get you books if you need them, just like a regular bookstore. But then the other side is the mission part where I feed back into our community. So I realized after 25 years of teaching that even though I retired, the teacher side of me really wasn't finished yet. I still have a heart in that. And I thought, okay, so I could take 100% of the profits and I'm going to buy children's books and I'm going to get those back into schools. And this is how it started. At the time, I thought, I'm a teacher. I know what it's like to have to spend my own money in my classroom. Over 25 years, I wish I would have kept track of how much of my own money I spent to get supplies for my own classroom. So I know teachers are doing that. And I thought, okay, what about all these schools where they don't have libraries, their libraries have closed, or they don't have the funding, and they've lost their school library? Well, I could help teachers build their classroom libraries up. And so I thought I could target classrooms second to fourth grade, because that's really where we we need to get our readers, is that age level. And I kind of wanted to target Teach for America. And I also wanted to go into schools that are in low-income areas. And the Teach for America, I call those teachers, they're, they're on the front lines, because they come out of that program and they are sent to some of the hardest schools to teach in and low incomes and not many supplies. And it's just a hard job. So I thought I'm going to reach out to these teachers. And uh, that worked for a year. I would meet with the teachers and I let them choose because, you know, I knew my students. I knew what my classroom needed. I'm not going to contact a teacher and then just give them a bunch of books. I want to work with the teacher. So I would contact the teacher and say, I have 500 bucks or I have a thousand dollars to help build your classroom library. I want you to tell me what you want. And so sometimes I would get, I need some in Spanish and English because a lot of my students are, you know, English as a second language, or even though I'm a fourth grade class, I need books that are second grade level or third grade level, because I want them to be able to independently read and their reading's not up there yet. One teacher, I want strong female characters, or I want more people of color in the book. So the teachers really could tell me what they wanted. And then I would take that information. I purchase all my books through Blue Manatee, which is in Oakley. They're a children's bookstore. And even though, I mean, I have contacts, I have supply people, so I could get the books cheaper myself. But I realized if I'm buying these donations, I could be supporting a, a local bookstore. And Blue Manatee, for every book you buy, they donate a book. 
So I just thought this is a win-win. I need to purchase all the books that I'm donating through them to help a local business. And because I'm buying through them, I'm even getting more books donated in, into our community. And I would contact them and say, hey, I need 500 bucks worth of this type of book. I, I need $1,000 worth of this. And then they would put it together and then I would deliver it to the classroom, which is pure joy. Yeah. Um, this was one of my funnest things to be able to do at the book truck is be able to pile it with books that I'm donating to a school, pull up to a school, have the kids come out. I got to meet the kids. And that was just so much fun to be able to do that. Now with COVID and the schools closing, I had to reshift my gears a little bit. And I did donate some books through Cincinnati Public for their meal program so that when the kids were getting a meal, they were also getting a book. And right now I'm focusing on the rec centers of Cincinnati because I found out that they had to get rid of all of their books due to COVID. So 23 rec centers are starting with zero books right now for their summer programs. Since I found that out, two months ago, maybe. I've been able to donate $6,000 worth of books to the 23. In fact, that was one of my happy deliveries this morning. I just took $4,000 worth of books and was able to drop it off at their main center. And then they're going to distribute it throughout the Cincinnati Rec Centers. And I still want to donate more because I don't think that's not enough for 23 centers. So I want to keep going and work to fill the Rec Center bookshelves it's been a joy and a blessing to be able to to be able to do this and get get books in the hands of kids who need them most. That's fantastic. Heaven knows with schools being closed and funding being taken from here there and everywhere it's just you're filling a very important need. That's that's awesome. And hearing about that and just imagining the kids whether they're able to run out to the bus or whether they're getting a book in their hand once a week it just it puts a smile on my face, which I definitely needed. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to all talk about what we're reading. We are back with my co-host Giselle and Melanie Moore of the Cincy Book Bus, and we're going to be talking about what we're all reading. So Giselle, what have you had going on up there? Earlier in the summer, I had set out a request to my Facebook friends for recommendations because I tend to find I like books that someone else has read and recommended better than just on a list online somewhere. And so this one was published in 2017. It's called Beneath a Scarlet Sky by Mark Sullivan. And it is another World War II historical fiction book. But kind of reminds me of Unbroken, the one about Louis Zamperini that, you know, they made a movie about and was a nonfiction book. This one is a fiction book, but Mark Sullivan found out about this Italian man who was an unsung hero. And so he, he went and interviewed this man and heard all of his stories and wanted to tell his story. Unfortunately, the Nazis had destroyed, there's no paper trail, so it, it couldn't become a nonfiction book. He, he basically didn't have enough proof to make it into a nonfiction book. But he met with Pino Lella five times, I think, to hear his stories. And then he did a lot of research about, you know, went and visited the places he talked about. And so it's kind of a different World War II historical fiction because it's about Italy. And the author even mentions in his foreword that they call it the Forgotten Front because the Italians just I wanted to forget about World War II. So I'm finding it really fascinating. And again, just 
every time I read a story about that, it's good for me right now because, you know, you're feeling kind of sorry for yourself sitting here in my warm suburban home, sad that I can't go out to eat or whatever. And then you read about the real struggles that people went through. And just the whole time I'm reading it, I think that if I I didn't know it was a true story, I would say, this is unbelievable. What is this author doing? There's no way all of this could have happened to one person. And yet, I know it really did happen to one person. So I would highly recommend it if you like historical fiction. And, you know, like me, I've taken a break from World War II (laughs) historical fiction for a while. I was ready for another one. Uh, It is written in an easy to read style. So like think like a James Patterson or something like that. Incredible what people persevered through during that horrible time in history. Some books about that era can, understandably, it can be very heavy and depressing, but this is more uplifting, inspirational. Uh, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean, there are horrific scenes and I think they're made more horrific because there's stories that he was told by a person who lived through it. It is I guess, inspirational to know that Italy is the way it is now, even having gone through this terrible governmental abuse. I'm curious to see what ends up. Again, I haven't finished it yet. And I know that he survives because we talked to him in the 2010s. It's not uplifting yet, but I'm going to give it hope here. He is working as a spy. So he's feeling a bit like a traitor because all of his Italians look down on him. They think he's a Nazi now but they don't know that he's really working as a spy. So I'm hoping that there'll be some redemption at the end for him where like right now it's kind of depressing because he is horrified by what he's seeing, but he can't tell any of his friends and family that he's not with these people. So it's, it's just a, it's kind of a complex story. It's, it's, it's good. It's got a little love story in there too, which is kind of fun. How about you, Melanie? Well, I have been inspired like many folks, the Black Lives Matter to expose myself to more, Black authors and books that center around Black Lives Matter and uh, people of color. So I just finished two, they're actually YA books, young adult books, which I don't read a lot of young adult books. I guess I'm not a huge fan, but every once in a while I come across one that I really like. And so these two I just finished back to back. One caught my eye because of the cover. Do we ever get sucked in by the cover? (laughs) Anyone else out there? (laughs) It's a million dollar industry. (laughs) That's right. It's those covers. So the Invincible Summer of uh, Juniper Jones, that has a beautiful cover. Juniper is just a fun, quirky character that you just fall in love with. It's 1950s South, and she's white, and her friend that she is... Uh, mixed. He's black and white. And so it just talks about their relationships and the struggles that they have in the town because of the issues of race and the tension that is in the town at the time. And just beautiful friendship that they develop. It's heartwarming and heart-wrenching and it's just a really, really good book. And timely for right now, being summer and the issues that they talk about in the book. And then Piecing Me Together uh, by Renee Watson. This isn't a new book. It's won all kinds of awards, but it's about a teenage girl who is in a poorer part of the city, but she is in a pretty much all white school. And so just the struggle, she's trying to find her own voice and speak up for herself and make a life for herself by being 
assertive and respectful and really just finding her voice. And I think that's the piecing me together title of the book. She's trying to, you know, make her way in the world. It's kind of a coming of age a little bit in that she, she sees the struggles of race and she ends up having a really close friend uh, in the school who's white, but then she also still has her black friends from her old school and the neighborhood. That, and the struggles the black and the white friend have were trying to see each other's side to things and trying to understand each other, the perspectives that they have. And I just think it's timely and it was a beautiful story. And I love the strength of the female characters. When I was younger, I loved reading the biography of Clara Barton. Like I loved biographies of strong women, even as a kid. And I think as an adult, I don't read as many biographies as I used to, but I still love a strong female character. And so I'm kind of drawn to books that have strong female characters. Those sound good. Yeah, I made my children read some, same as you. I felt like we needed to become more educated as a family. But those two were not on my list of things. I had my daughter read The Hate You Give, which is well known at this point. But piecing me together sounds like a similar theme that she she? might enjoy. She's 13. Oh, yeah. Actually, either one of those would be good. And how about you, Carrie? What have you been reading or recently finished? So I read recently, the book is called The Thing About Jellyfish, and it's by Allie Benjamin. It was a National Book Award finalist in 2015. And so this had been one that I had heard about. I don't read exclusively award-winning books, but I always try to keep my finger a little bit on the pulse of Pulitzer Prize winners or National Book Award or Newbery. And I also love jellyfish. You know, I just think they're very interesting creatures. This book, it's interesting because it's about a girl named Susie. And she and her best friend, they were friends forever. And then they sort of have a falling out, as a lot of middle school girls do. They get into middle school and girls that they were friends with, for whatever reason, they find new friends. But anyway, there's a little bit of a a disconnect between them. Well, this girl who was her best friend dies from drowning in the ocean. And Susie is trying to make sense of that. And she's very interested in jellyfish. And so it's her struggle to try to make sense of a loss. And also she's processing the fact that they were kind of no longer friends in the way they had been. And so she does some things that if you're reading it as an adult, you're looking at this going, that's not going to (laughs) work, you know, but middle schoolers, their prefrontal cortexes are not fully formed. So they don't always make the best decisions. So she attempts to do something. I won't say what that is, but she attempts to do something that ends up not working, but that failure helps her family understand what she's going through because like a lot of you know middle schoolers she's sort of hiding how she's feeling you know after I read this I didn't investigate or read articles about it but I got the sense that the main character might have Asperger's that wasn't confirmed but that's the sense that I got and sometimes kids are a little bit more accepting when they're early elementary. And then when they get to middle school, they have a greater sense of what they think is weird. I guess they're more uncomfortable with that. So I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's definitely not like a light read. It's kind of heavy, but 
it was interesting. And I loved how the author worked in these facts about jellyfish that were really cool. Like the start of every chapter, you would get these, you know, facts about jellyfish. So we're going to take another break. And when we come back, Melanie is going to tell us her top five. We are back with Melanie Moore from the Cincy Book Bus, and she's going to answer her top five. Number one, so knitting has come back in vogue in the last decade or so, but a lot of people are kind of overwhelmed with how to start. So you knit. So tell us a little bit how long you've been knitting and what is the top item that you like to knit? So I've been knitting maybe eight years. My daughter's school, they were hosting a knitting club. And I thought, oh, I've never tried that. That that might be fun. And I am cannot sew a stitch. I can do a button, but that's it. So I thought, hmm, I would like to be able to work with fabric or yarn or some textile. And I like puzzles. And knitting is kind of like one big puzzle. So I joined the group. And I would say if you want to start knitting, at least for me, I needed someone to sit with me. You know, I needed a mentor. I needed someone to take my mess to and say, help me. So we would meet and I just decided that I'm not going to try a project. And I thought, I just want to practice this stitch over and over and over and over and over. So I would just practice the knitting stitch and then I'd rip it out. I'd practice casting on, knit, 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 rip it out. Till it, I knew how to do it. I knew what it looked like. I just kept looking at the stitches and studying how it worked which really helped because a lot of people have trouble when you drop a stitch, trying to pick it back up or or re-back knit, you know, when you mess up and you try to go back and fix what you're doing. Because I did it that way, I was able to see things instead of just blindly knitting and not knowing what I'm doing. It really helped with that issue. So then I started with bookmarks, of course. That was my first project because it's little. <laughs> That's right. And it's even, rectangular. Even, <laughs> yes. It's even littler than a washcloth. Then I went to washcloths. Then I went to scarves, hats. Um, I've knit sweaters. Since I've started the book bus, I've been knitting a blanket because I just pick it up and I need mindless things. I can't really focus on the heavy patterned hard things. I just need to sit and get my hands moving and my brain to still. But since I've started the book bus, I every spare moment is reading. So I, my knitting has really, really suffered. But it's a great hobby. You can't really read a book and knit at the same time. But I've discovered you can listen to an audio book and knit at the same time. So you can still be working on your Tubi Red Pile while you're knitting because you can have this audio book going. So that's the best of both worlds. You can knit and read books at the same time. I sort of taught myself to crochet back in the spring when what I guess I round one of quarantining. I have a feeling there'll be other rounds coming up. But I did. At one point, I put on a mask and sat outside with my, my neighbor so she could show me like a couple little things that I just couldn't get from watching a video. You know, I said, I have a thing with jellyfish. Well, that's what I really wanted to make was crochet jellyfish, you know, just like for my daughter to give to her friends. It's great because like you said, I can listen to audiobooks and sit there and, and make these little octopi, I guess, in jellyfish. I made a really terrible stingray that looked more like a sperm. But anyway, 
the point is, for me, it's been great because I don't care if I mess up. You know, like I sort of suck at this, but it's okay. So it's kind of been very liberating for me to just do it because it's sort of fun. It lets me keep my hands busy and I don't have to be like the world's greatest. I think that's probably more about edging closer to 50 than it than anything with related to crochets. It's a fun hobby and it's good for your brain. All right. So you're a big fan of old black and white movies. So what started that interest? Uh, well, I love vintage things. So I think it started with the vintage clothes. I don't know where my desire for vintage came. I, I do love history. So maybe that tied in. Love the 30s and 40s era. So back in my 20s, I started picking up vintage clothes. Well, then I saw the old Hollywood books again it started with books so I would go to the library or bookstores and I'd see these covers with these amazing clothes and outfits of Hollywood stars from the 30s and 40s era and just the glamour of their hair and the style and the... so I started reading their books about Hollywood and I was so intrigued by it well then they would mention all these movies that they were doing and they were starring in so then I turned to Turner Classic Movies and I love black and white movies. If I have an afternoon or an evening where I have TV time, because I really don't watch a lot of TV at all, but if I can find a good black and white movie, I'm all about it. And see, you can knit. See how my things all <laughs> go back and forth? So I can knit and listen to an audiobook, and I can watch a movie and knit. Do you okay. have one that you would recommend to maybe someone like me who has not watched a lot of black and white movies? So good for one a to book start with. lover, one of my favorite probably top five books is Rebecca, Daphne du Maur, if you, uh, if you yes. have read that. Great classic. It's got that film noir, dark kind of feel to it. Well, that's my favorite Hitchcock is Rebecca. So that's one of my favorite books and one of my favorite black and whites. Normally, I am not a read the book, watch the movie. I usually don't do that. I have or in my mind of what the book is like and what the characters are like and their voices and usually I've always disappointed when I go to the movies always I kind of quit but this one they did a really good job gotcha. cool. see I read the book long enough ago that probably any inconsistencies wouldn't even bother me right <laughs> so probably so a good go. one to start with too I, wouldn't I know what you're going to be doing this afternoon. <laughs> That's right. Well, once I unhog tie my children, yes. <laughs> so question three, you have a vintage truck that you use as your bookstore vehicle. So have you always had an interest in vintage cars? And what is the top automobile you'd like to own or drive? Maybe that you've seen in an old movie. Well, I'm driving it. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So yeah, I, I, I'm living the dream. I told you I'm living the dream. So I love vintage clothes, vintage cars, vintage movies, um, vintage art. I mean, I love the 30s and 40s era. In fact, my house is a 1935 house. I love the furniture, everything about those two decades I love. So my husband and I were kind of both the same way in that. We're high school sweethearts. And so our first date, I was 15 and he was 16 and he pulled up in a 1970 Super Beetle 
bright orange. So we started our relationship with VWs. And since then, we have owned so many VWs. My first car was a VW Rabbit. His was a VW Bug. We've owned ragtop beetles, buses, vanagons. We've gone camping. We pretty much own every type of VW vehicle that you can. My husband had a Wagoneer. That was 1949 Plymouth Wagoneer. It was brown. It's what you would imagine those vintage advertisements would be, like going with your family and taking a picnic or something, you know, Uh one of those station wagons. It was so cool. And when he first brought it back and fixed it up, I was like, okay, I have to put on one of my vintage dresses and then you have to take me for a drive. (laughs) (laughs) So he did. So yeah, I just love going back into time in my head, kind of what I do with books. I love reading like 1930s books on the English countryside. Um, I just posted some recently that I had for sale, D.E. Stevenson. When you need a comfort read with some humor and there's always a small English town where everybody's kind and the days are slow and there's always a little bit of drama, but nothing too much. Go to D.E. Stevenson because she'll sweep you away to a simpler time. Sound like you're from Cincinnati. I grew up in Cincinnati as well. So when people think of Cincinnati, they think of the Reds, baseball and Midwestern sensibilities and some chili that everyone else thinks is gross, but we think is delicious. Um, (laughs) As a local, what are some of your top favorite gems that someone visiting Cincinnati should check out? For me, I love to go downtown and walk around. There's so much to see and do with so many restaurants. Washington Park is so nice to sit and walk through along the river with the parks down there. It's nice to stroll. There's breweries amazing food no matter what type of food you're looking for you will find it some of the shops that have popped up I love to explore there's always something new there's just a good energy down there so anyone coming to the city really needs to explore the the downtown all right question number five you carry many British editions of books on the Cincy book bus so what makes a UK edition different from an American edition and what is the top UK book or cover you carry in your store so it's the same book a lot of times it's just they choose a different cover and I've already mentioned I have a problem with pretty covers and I think a lot of people do so if I'm going to own a book and it's going to be sitting on my shelf I'd not only want it to be fantastic literature and a great story but I want it to look good or have an interesting artistic cover so I always look at both covers but sometimes people get a book that they love and then they collect that book but they like different editions and versions so I'm always on the lookout for beautiful Jane Austens or any kind of classic like that that they've republished and had a nice cover for my March book club was a month in the country written by Carr C A R R and they just had a beautiful cover for it. It was a painting of an English countryside. Inspires you to want to read the book even more when you're drawn to the cover. Like the cover of that book already took me to the place that the story was going to take me just by the beautiful artwork. So I always try to just keep an eye out for books that have interesting covers that might be different or books that the authors maybe aren't represented here in the States for some reason. I have the seasons books, winter, spring, summer, autumn. They're all for our anthologies. 
and they're beautiful books. They're paperback, but they have covers on them. The additional cover and then the cover of the book, they're the same thing, So, it, but it keeps it very nice. It's a very high quality paperback. But they're anthologies on the seasons. So for summer, they'll have maybe a poem about the summer or insects or something. But then they'll also have or an essay about taking a walk in the woods or what you notice about the seasons. So I've been selling those quite a bit for each season. And then people have collected them. Right now for sale, I have uh, summer and autumn are available. The Oh, the Chilton editions. I didn't talk about those. Those are from the UK. Those are beautiful hardback editions that I can't even, you just have to go to the website to look at them because they're gorgeous. I have all the Jane Austens, Frankenstein, The Great Gatsby. There's all kinds of classics. They take classics and they have these beautiful hard editions. They're just gorgeous. Yeah, and so. I have to say, now with all the Zoom meetings, what your bookshelf looks like is very important, <laughs> I find. So having beautiful books and beautiful covers is it's even important. more important. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because if somebody's going to rate your room, you want to make right. sure you get high rating. <laughs> <laughs> so these beautiful covered books in the back behind you. <laughs> Well, Melanie, if people want to find you on Instagram or Facebook, where should they look? Do they just search Cincy Book Bus? Yep. If you search Cincy Book Bus, it will be the first thing that pops up. Yeah, you could even search on Instagram or on Facebook. CincyBookBus.com is my website. So if you look on there, you can find my social media buttons. And then you could go to the Book Bus store, which has Book Bus merchandise on my website, you can sign up for book club. You can make a donation. So maybe you're not a book person, but you want to support what I'm doing and, and help with my mission of getting books in the kids' hands who need them most, then you can just make a monetary donation on my website. You can also buy any book you want through the bookshop or audiobook or ebook. One day, you know, when you have a pop-up again, Amy and I originally had wanted to do a little field trip up there and meet you in person. But as every conversation anymore that people have, they say, but COVID. So yeah. maybe at some point we will be able to take that trip and we'll yeah. have Giselle come down and we'll, we'll go to lunch. I have people who have traveled uh, from Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, just to visit the book bus. It's a great honor that they include me on their travels. And Giselle, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, co-host with me. It was well, fun. I, this was fun and, and just so serendipitous. I'm telling you, like a week before Carrie told me about this, I had never heard of the Cincy book bus. So about a week before we were watching the food truck race on Food Network, and I said, someone needs to make a book bus. And then Carrie's <laughs> like, would you participate in this? And I was like, dang it, she already took the idea. So they I already am, did it. <laughs> that's right. I am. I just think it's such a unique idea. And as a book lover, it, it is exciting. So I'm, and I hope you have continued success because I think oh, your mission you is so really much. important and very inspiring. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for show notes for any episode. Please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.